how do you combat that? How do you work that out? Well, let me give you a story. I went to Vons this week. How many of you go to Vons? Okay, I went to Vons this week, and I got ready to check out, and I'm at the counter there, and uh, there was a, a family that came up behind me, a Navy family, young Navy family, and the lady was talking on her phone, and the husband was putting stuff on the basket, and the lady turned around with her back to me, and she, when she pulled her phone out of her pocket, a $20 bill fell on the, on the floor. So uh, I, I reached down and got the $20 bill and put it in my pocket. How many think I did that? Good. Thank you. I didn't do that. I reached down, and I got the $20 bill, and I said, excuse me, ma'am. Excuse me. You dropped this. And she said, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much. And she took it, and she put it in her pocket and turned around, and it fell out of her pocket again. And I reached down, and I got it again. And I said, excuse me, ma'am, you dropped it again. She said, oh, my goodness. And she put it in her pocket. And I thought, if it's a third time, God really wants me to have this $20 bill. (laughs) It didn't happen a third time. And if it had happened a third time, I would have given it to her. Because I decided a long time ago that it's not worth $20 to sin. It's not worth $100 to sin. It's not worth $1,000 to sin. It's not worth a million dollars. It's not worth a billion dollars. It's just not worth it because there's always sorrow and sin and guilt and shame when we break God's laws and when we don't do what we're supposed to do. So I want you to try to figure out sometime today, maybe maybe when you get home after you eat lunch, think about things that happen that tempt you to do the wrong kinds of things and figure out what the right thing to do is because boys and girls, listen to this. It is always right to do what's right, and it's never right to do what's wrong, okay? It's always right to do what's right, never right to do what's wrong, so know what God says is right, and in your brain, figure out, if I ever get in that situation, that's what I'm, I'm going to do what's right, because that'll make God happy. That'll please Him. Let's bow our heads together. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you today, our most precious Our most precious possessions besides our own salvation are our children and grandchildren. And, Lord, what a group we have here, Lord. There's no telling what you're going to do with these young men, these young ladies. There's no telling what you have in store for them if they always choose to do right. I pray you'd help them to know when the devil's tapping them on the shoulder, when Satan's trying to whisper in their ear, trying to get them to do something wrong, Help them to already have figured out I'm not going to do what he says because all he wants to do is to cause me heartache. Father, help us to be obedient to you all the time. We pray in Jesus' name. And all the boys and girls said, amen. Amen. God bless you. Go ahead and go to your class, all right? And if you find any $20 bills on the floor, they're mine. Uh, Not really. Okay, not really. And moms and dads, turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27. Matthew, chapter 27, the last in our series of personal encounters with Jesus Christ. This one on a fellow named Pontius Pilate. Uh, How many of you adults now, how many of you adults have found something at some point in your life of value, something of great value? Let me see your hand. A lot of us, okay, a lot of us. Uh, One time... When I was in grade school, and I don't remember if I was in like the 6th, 7th, or 8th grade, because our, our grade school went all the way up through the 8th grade, and then high school was 9th through 12th. So, uh, so I, I was somewhere in the 7th or 8th grade, uh, 
And I found in a classroom, I found a man's diamond ring. And it was a real diamond ring. I mean, it really was. It wasn't fake. It was gold with, with a diamond in it. And I was excited, man. I was so excited. I took it home and I showed my mom. I said, look what I found today. She said, where'd you find that? I said, at school. Where at school? In the classroom. She said, okay. She says, uh, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take it back to school tomorrow and I want you to take it into the office and tell them you found this ring. Now, I was at the age when I didn't think my mom always had really good ideas. I thought this was really a lame idea. God made it possible for me to find this man's diamond ring, and my mom's wanting me to take it and give it to somebody in an office, and, and I just didn't think that was a very good idea. But I took it back, mostly because my mom had a way of persuading me to do what she told me to do if I didn't do it. She would... She would get around to that. That's another message for another day. But I took it back and turned it in. Later, I found out that a girl had lost it, and I don't know if it was her boyfriend's or her dad's. I'm not sure, but boy, was she ever happy that that ring was turned in, and I was happy. I was as happy as if it had been my idea to take it to the office and turn it in to begin with, which it wasn't, but I was as happy because I had done the right thing. My mom taught me a great lesson, and that lesson is do what's right no matter what. Do what's right no matter the cost. But you got to determine to do what's right in every situation, in my opinion, before you get into that situation to avoid some real trouble. So let me, let me give you some scenarios. Some of these I have, has happened to me. For example, we were to, Pat and I were at an airport. I can't remember where. It was in some other country, I know that, and we were at the airport, and I found a wallet in the drive-thru, a drive where people get off and, you know, disembark or embark or bark, or I don't know what they do, but uh, so I, I, I found a wallet, and it had, all, it had money in it, it had credit cards, it had all kinds of IDs and everything else. Uh, so if you find a wallet, or if you found a wallet, what'd you do? I, I took it in, found security. Gave them the wallet. As far as I know, uh, hopefully they got it reunited uh, with the people. I don't know. What about you're, you're in, a, in a, at a store and you, you're paying for something and you give the clerk $20 and they give you incorrect change. They give you too much change back. What do you do? Well, look at, boy, I tithe Sunday and sure enough, God bless me. He gave me more money back. Right? No. No, not, not a right, eh, wrong answer. The right answer is you give it back. One of the most fun times I had with that ever was uh, I was at a bank, and uh, I cashing a check or withdrawing money, one or the other, and the clerk gave me too much money. And I, and I stood there, and I counted. I said, um, this is not right. Yes, it is. It's right. I, I know it's right. I double-checked. She thought I was going to say, there's not enough here. Uh, I said, no, it's, it's not right. She said, yes, it, it is right. I'm certain it's right. I said, well, watch. And I counted out, and it was too much money. And she was like, oh, I guess it's not right. <laughs> and I gave it back to her because someone's going to have to pay for that if I take it. That's, it was not my money. I didn't deserve it, so she needed it. Someone's attacking a defenseless person in your presence. What are you going to do? This lady who called the... Uh, on the police radio, this policeman that was uh, knocked unconscious and beaten severely this last week, 
And she got on the police radio and called for help. More power to her. Bless her heart. Thank God for her. You find yourself attracted to someone who's not your spouse. What do you do? Do you just kind of play with that? Do you just kind of flirt a little bit with that? Do you, you have a little fun with that? Not at all. Someone gossips to you or they're in the process of gossiping to you. What do you do? Do you listen to it because it's kind of salacious and it's kind of interesting and, and, and you're just wanting to hear all this stuff? How about this? Uh, someone very powerful, influential, wants you to make an exception to your convictions for their sake. What are you going to do? In business, you get into those situations sometimes. How about this? Young people, single people, you're, you're on a date and all of a sudden your date wants more than just your company. What do you do? You better figure out what you're going to do if you find yourself in a parked car somewhere um, before you get into that situation. I wish Pontius Pilate had had a mom like mine. I wish his mother had taught him do what's right regardless of the consequences. I wish he had already worked out that scenario in his own life before his hour of temptation. But having given that as an introduction, let's look at the conspiracy in Matthew chapter 27, beginning in verse 1. Now, when morning was come, and this is after Christ had been arrested, after he'd been through these mock trials, after now he's being taken before the, the Roman uh, court system, if you would, uh, if you please. And then when morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people, the Jewish elders and priests, took counsel, which means they collaborated. We've heard that word a lot lately, haven't we? Collaborated. They collaborated. They plotted. They conspired together uh, against Jesus to put him to death. And by the way, he had done nothing at all worthy of death, nothing at all worthy of death. But they were trying to figure out how they could get a death sentence passed on this innocent man. And when they had bound him and led him away, they delivered him. They placed him in the hands of Pontius Pilate, the governor. Now, Pilate was the sixth procurator of Galilee and Samaria. His name means armed with a spear. And he indeed, as the Roman uh, procurator, uh, was a man armed with a spear. The religious leaders were meeting together to figure out how to persuade the Roman authorities to put to death this Jesus who was a real uh, threat to their religious system, uh, even though he hadn't done anything wrong. The Jews didn't have the authority to put anybody to death. And now, because they were occupied by Rome, the Roman legions were there, the Roman governor was there, they were no longer a theocracy. Back in the heyday, before kings especially, they were a theocracy. And so God's law was their rule. So now they're not a theocracy, they're under Roman rule, they have to submit, Romans 13, to Roman laws. Guess what? America is not a theocracy either. No one is clamoring for America to be a theocracy. Uh, sometimes we Christians get accused of that because we preach convictions, because we preach morality, because we preach the Word of God, and we try to get people to understand the Word of God and to abide by the Word of God. Uh, we're, we're accused of trying to, 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 to force religion down the throats of people. Uh, we're not a theocracy. We know that. Uh, we're a republic. 
we elect people who choose people who then represent us and vote. And that's how our system works uh, here. But uh, they didn't have the power to put Christ to death. And they weren't satisfied with just some kind of a religious, uh, you know, putting a, some kind of a taboo on Jesus. Don't go listen to him because he's a heretic or whatever. They wanted him eliminated. And so conspiracies started. And conspiracies are still taking place today. People are still ganging up on the whole idea of Christ and the whole idea of being Christians. Atheists still want God out of everybody's life, out of our nation's fabric, out of our founding. They, they hate the fact there's reference to Almighty God in our founding, doc, in our founding documents. They want to separate. This idea of separation in church and state, what that should be is that the, the state doesn't tell anybody how to worship or how not to worship. What they interpret it today to mean is that we can't mention God. We can't pray to God in public assemblies and, and, and public meetings and government buildings. Schools can't read the Word of God. They can read uh, Satanic Bible. They can read all kinds of, uh, of, of soft porn or hard porn uh, in the name of education. Uh, they, can, uh, they can use Jesus' name in a cursing way. They can curse using God, but they can't preach the Word of God. They can't preach and teach Jesus. They can't talk to people about Christ in the in most public school systems. Uh, conspiracies are very much still alive. Uh, the biggest conspiracy in the world is the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world, the, the cosmos around us, the flesh, our own, our own sinful flesh, the devil, Satan, uh, alive and well, folks. He's not some, you know, we just got through with Comic-Con. He's not some comical hero with little horns and a pitchfork uh, and a red suit. That's not him. He, he comes in all kinds of form. First one was in the form of a serpent where he beguiled Eve and she uh, succumbed to the temptations. And, uh, and then uh, Adam followed along with that as well. So um, Satan, biggest conspirators there is. And, and if you take a stand for Christ at work, if you take a stand for Christ in your, in your groups, in your meetings, in your sports teams, whatever else, you're going to be labeled uh, and you can expect opposition you can expect persecution, but guess what? It's worth it. Now, next we see the confusion in verses 11 through 14. And, and Pilate is really confused about Christ. He's not your typical prisoner. He's not your typical accused criminal. He comes before him. He's already been uh, through some of these, like I said, mock trials. And, and so he's confused. Pilate's confused about two things. First of all, the sovereignty of Jesus in verse 11. Jesus stood before the governor, the one who governed the rule, even though he's the king of kings, the lord of lords. He stands before a local appointed uh, official here, Pilate. And the governor asks him, saying, are you the king of the Jews? Simple question. You've been, I've heard that you're the king. Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus simply said, thou sayest. That's what you said. He doesn't make any kind of a defense. He doesn't, you know what, the, the word of God starts out in the beginning God. It doesn't start out with an argument for why God is. It doesn't start out trying to prove God's existence. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Not evolution, folks. Special creation, direct creation from an almighty God who doesn't have to justify his being here. He is just here. He is everywhere, amen? He is everywhere. And so Jesus said, you said I'm the king of Jews. 
He makes no uh, cry or defense. Is he really the king? The Savior says, you said so. So that mystified Pilate. The second thing, not only, and by the way, Jesus was as sovereign as the Father. And, and the Father was as sovereign as the Holy Spirit, which absolutely means there is no other power equal to, there is no other power greater than God, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, sovereign. What they say goes. Now, we use that term or have in the past for kings and queens that rule and reign in countries. They're the sovereign. They're the absolute last word in everything. But there is no human sovereign. There's only a divine sovereign, and that is God Almighty, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And, and when God says something, that's it. That settles it. It's done. So the sovereignty of Christ really mystified Pilate, but also the silence of Jesus mystified in verse 12. And when he was accused of the chief priests and the elders or by them, he answered nothing. They gave their little, their little accusations about him. He, he, he's a dis, he's dissenter. He, he spreads problems. He causes division. He, he, uh, he calls us hypocrites. He, he's not a very nice person. He's, he calls for insurrection. He's against Rome. All this stuff they said. And he did not answer a single thing. And then said Pilate to him, Hearest thou not? Do you not hear how many things thy, they witness against you? And Jesus answered him, not a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. In other words, he was astonished. He was speechless. Why doesn't he offer a defense before his accusers? Every criminal offers a defense of some kind. And most of the time it's, I didn't do it. Even if somebody saw them do it, I didn't do it. I've heard in prisons, it's, it's like that's the, that's the famous cry of, of every convict there. I didn't do it. And I'm sure some of them didn't, but a lot of them did. So why doesn't Jesus make a defense? Why, is it, why does he say, you say that I'm the king? That's good enough for me. Why does he not try to defend himself? Then the custom comes up in verse 15. At that feast day, that holy day, Pilate was wont to release unto the people a prisoner, whomever they would. This was a gesture uh, of goodwill. Every Passover feast, they, Rome tried to keep peace in Jerusalem and in, in Israel because there, was, there were all kinds of conflicts because Rome uh, was not a Christian nation, obviously, and, and Rome, uh, Rome's laws were, didn't, didn't correspond to Israel's laws, and so there was this constant contention going on. And so Pilate, in order to try to placate the people, so it's Passover. I know this is an important thing. Boy, was it ever. I just got through reading in Exodus and the chronological Bible. I got through reading about how the first Passover occurred and how Pharaoh kept saying, I'm not going to let you people go. I'm not going to let you people go. I'm not going to let you people and, and plague after plague after plague after plague. And then he starts saying things like, well, I'll tell you what, the, the men can go, but the families have to stay home. Another, another plague. Well, how about, okay, the men and the women can go and your children, but leave your flocks here. And, and, and he goes through all this stuff, and finally the Passover occurs. And finally the death angels going to pass through uh, the land of Egypt. And, and in every household, whether it's the Pharaoh or servant, or slave's household, the firstborn of every animal and every person is going to die. It didn't happen with Israel. 
because they took the lamb and they roasted the lamb and they collected the blood as they killed the lamb and they put it on the doorposts and the trim around the top and the sides of the door and they went inside and they didn't go outside. They didn't venture out. And they stayed there until the death angel passed through. They ate the roasted lamb without breaking any bones, a, 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 a typical a symbol of Christ being the Lamb of God who dies for the sins of the world without a bone being broken and so on. And so uh, they, they stay in the houses until finally the outcry of Egypt is, is horrible. It's incredible. Every single household from Pharaoh on down to the lowliest person and, and, the, and the, the least animal of all, the firstborn of every single one died. What a lament. What a wail. What a cry. What a terrible time. And finally... Pharaoh says, go, take your wives, take your children, take your herds. And the people gave them silver and gold and sent them on their way. That was the Passover. And so Pilate said, I know this is a big deal. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do something real special for you. I'm going to give you a choice. I'm going to give you this, this custom. I'm going to give you an opportunity uh, to, to have a prisoner go free. And, that, and we come to the criminal in verse 16. They had a notable prisoner named Barabbas. And the word notable in the Greek here, a notorious, famous in a bad way, an infamous person, not a popular person at all. See, we get this idea, well, this was a a famous person. Uh, No, this was an infamous person, one that probably most of the Israelites themselves were glad he was in jail, glad he was in prison, glad he's not going to be inflicting any more problems for us. A notable prisoner named Barabbas. And therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Who do you want me to release unto you? Barabbas or Jesus, which is called the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah? He's trying to, he thought this was a no brainer. How many know what a no brainer is? Huh? You don't have to think about it, you don't have to get the gray matter going, no smoke has to curl out of your ears. It's not a real weighty, you don't have to write down all the pros on one side, cons on the other. Because you got, he set him up. He said, I'll tell you what, how about you want this notorious, infamous, evil, thieving, murdering criminal released in your midst, next door to you, living next door to you, mate? You want him? Or how about Jesus, who is the Messiah called the Christ? No brainer, right? That's what he thought. I don't know what this means or if it means anything, but I thought it was interesting. I looked up the name Barabbas. You know what the B-A-R, bar, you know what that means? Son, yeah, son of, son of Abbas. Abbas is a derivative, derivative of the same name Abba, Abba father. What? So Abba... Aramaic for father, literally the father, properly translated as my father, our father, used by Jesus and early Christians to address God. It was the very same Abba father that they would, that was a a term of intimacy. It's almost like saying daddy, my my heavenly daddy. Uh, Not just a a casual relationship, but but I'm part of the family of God. Abba father. So the word suggests familial intimacy. So here it is. When, when the crowd chooses for this criminal to be released, 
Basically, the son of the intimate father was to be set free, and the son of God would die in his place. Both of them sons of Abba, both of them father, both of them daddy. I I don't know what that means. (laughs) I just thought it was interesting. We see the concern then in verse 19. When he was set down in the judgment seat, Pilate would sit in this official judgment seat. Also, same term used of the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat, when one of these days Christians are going to be uh, raptured, evacuated from the earth, and we'll be in the presence of Christ while the great tribulation is going on on earth, and we'll receive rewards and blessings because of what Christ enabled us to do in heaven, the Bema seat. So here's, here is, uh, here's Pilate sitting on the Roman Bema seat, judgment seat. Listen to this, guys. I want every guy to be awake. Ladies, if your husband's asleep, elbow him, wake him up. You'll want him to hear this, okay? If you're going to get married, elbow this guy, okay? His wife sent unto him, sent a message to him saying, have nothing to do with that just man. A righteous, upright, virtuous obeyer of the divine law. Have nothing to do with that just, that righteous, that upright, that virtuous, that obeyer of the divine law. Have nothing to do with him. Bad. Because I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. I am afraid that you're meddling in something yet you shouldn't be meddling with. I'm afraid you're having some you're you're, you're in a situation that's gonna that's gonna turn on you here. And what Pilate was involved in with Jesus was was Pilate's wife's worst, worst nightmare. So at this point in time, she warns him: leave that innocent man alone. I've had terrible nightmare about him this night. Uh, dreams are intriguing things. I've had people through the years say, it, I, they think I, I, I'm an interpreter of dreams sometimes. You know, Pastor, I was on this island and suddenly a, a, a barber pole came flying out of the sky and planted right next. Do you think I should go into barber school? I'm like, I, I mean, s- 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 you know what I think about dreams I think sometimes, and they're the result of our conscious thoughts just before we're drifting off to sleep. I can't tell you over the last six weeks how much, John, how much stuff I've been doing around here in my dreams. Yeah. You know, and, and, and come, you know, my, my nightmare was here's church and we have no sound and we have no chairs and the piano's not even, you know, here. And, and I'm like, yeah. Conscious thoughts that we have before drifting are thoughts that consume us day and night are the result of sometimes sickness and fever or medications. People get under certain medications. They hallucinate. They see things. They dream things. My mom used to, because she had Parkinson's, she would take a certain medication. She would, she would have nightmares, awful nightmares. Dreams can be the product of a, a whole bunch of ideas incorrectly assembled by, uh, by, a, by a brain in an unconscious state. They, they, and dreams can be from God. In the Word of God, we had people, examples of people whose dreams were from the Word of God. The Pharaoh that Joseph interacted with, for example, had a dream. Joseph inter- interpreted the dreams through the power of God. He interpreted the baker and the, and the cupbearer's dreams too. Worked out real well for one of them. 
not so well for the other one. Joseph had those dreams about, you know, his brothers were going to bow down to him, and then later on his brothers and mother and father were going to bow down to him, and he told them, he got up and said, wait a minute, you hear the dream I had last night, man, this is a great dream, I was there, and, and you all bowed down to me, how about that? And they're like, get out of your mind, boy, get out of your mind, you think we're going to bow down to you? They called him the dreamer, when they saw him far off, he's, here he comes, here come. behold, the dreamer comes. There he comes. What are we going to do with it? We're going to put him in a hole in the ground? We're going to kill him? No, hey, why not sell him to these, you know, as a slave? We'll just sell him, get rid of him, get him out of here. Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. <laughs> Was it Nebuchadnezzar who had dreams and he called in all the soothsayers and, and interpreters and, and all of that and he said, I-, I want you to tell me what my dream meant. They said, okay, what was your dream? He said, I'm not going to tell you that. you got to be kidding me, Mr. Nebuchadnezzar. I'm going to kill you all if you don't tell me what the dream means. What's the dream? I'm not going to tell you that. If you know what the meaning is, you ought to know what the dream was. So, hey, you got a little while, let me know. Otherwise, I'm going to kill you all. I just like to be a soothsayer under Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel comes along, interprets the dream through the power of God. So sometimes they are from God. Sometimes we remember our dreams. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we remember them later on. Sometimes we only remember the ones that seem to have connection with reality in our life. But I'm going to tell you something. Dreams are not infallible. If you come to me and say, Pastor, I, I had this dream that my great-great-grandmother was standing at the foot of my bed and she was saying, go east, go east. What does it mean? I'm going to say, you probably shouldn't have anchovies on your pizza before you go to bed at night. <laughs> dreams are not infallible. Only God's word is infallible. And God's word never changes. Well, it's been translated a whole bunch of times. Yeah, it's still God's word. Still God's word. The little minute differences from all the hundreds of translations can be condensed on, a, on just a page or two by comparison. It says it in different words, but it says the same thing. God's word's infallible. This particular dream was right on. Pilate, why didn't you listen to your wife. Guys, when are we going to learn to listen to our... It's hard to say. Wives. You know what? God, God, God puts you together for a reason. And sometimes we see things a whole lot differently than, and we really need the input from the lady that God put in our lives. It's not a one-man show here. A, a family... As a husband and wife who two become one, and her strengths, in my case, my wife's in one of the rooms over here, her strengths are oftentimes my weaknesses, and my strengths are oftentimes her weaknesses, and together we are better for God and for good. So don't put down her ideas. Don't blow her off when she has these. Don't do that. God has purpose. God has reason. So listen to your wives. Number six, the choice. By the way, last week I only had two points in my sermon. I'm making up for it this week. We're, we're going to have more. So it all kind of balances out. Verse 20 to 23, the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask or seek for the release of the infamous criminal Barabbas and destroy, to put out of the way entirely, to get rid of Jesus, the governor 
answered and said to them, which of the two do you want me to release unto you? Do you want me to put back into your society? And they said to his amazement, Barabbas, release unto us Barabbas. Pilate couldn't believe his ears. What? What shall I do then with Jesus who is called the Christ? And they all said, and they let him be crucified. Crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him. And the governor, frustration, said, why? What evil has he done? Nobody answers that question, but they cried out the more, let him be crucified. So when offered a choice, the wicked religious leaders of Jesus' day clamored for the deliverance of an uncriminal and the death of Jesus Christ for no particular reason, no valid reason. Number seven, the attempted cleansing. This is prophetic. This is incredible. When Pilate saw he could prevail nothing, they were just clamoring, crying out for Jesus to be crucified, and it was a near riot. That's what the tumult. It was a near riot. He took water and a basin, and he washed his hands before everybody, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See you to it. And then answered all the people. Listen to this. And they said, his blood be on us and our children. Oh, my goodness. They had no idea what they were saying. Never were more dreadful words ever uttered. Let his blood be upon us and our children. And a nation under God that was established as a theocracy that became a world superpower of biblical days within just 30-some years of this utterance were dispersed from their land and stayed gone for 1,940-some years. But i got some news for you. Pilate wasn't able to wash away his sins with water. Nobody can wash away your sins in water. I don't care if it's the Pacific Ocean or the bay or the baptistry. You cannot wash away your sins with physical water. Oddly enough, the only way to wash the blood off our hands is to apply the blood of Jesus Christ. Oddly enough. What he should have done, here's here's the whole thing. What he should have done is take a stand for what? was right because he knew what was right. I find no fault in this man. Who do you want me to release, this wicked criminal or Jesus the Messiah? I will not condemn him unjustly no matter what you do. That's what he should have said. What he needed was not his hands cleansed but his heart cleansed. And not with water, but with the blood of the Lamb. Last point is the cruel chastening. In verse 26, Then released Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged, mercilessly beaten with a whip, Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Pilate ordered the Son of God to be flogged and killed. So here's the tragic conclusion. An innocent man was brutalized and murdered. A guilty man was set free. And Pilate became 
a people pleaser instead of a God pleaser. All because he didn't have a conviction that he was willing to stand behind. I don't remember the exact quote. I should have looked it up. But Bob Jones used to say something like this, do right if the stars fall, do right. And he meant by that, if the whole universe falls apart, do what's right. If everybody understands, great, do what's right. If nobody understands, still do what's right. That is the right thing to do. So when you find a wallet, when you find yourself in a parked car, girls, guys, when a clerk hands you too much money and change, when your eyes are led astray by someone that shouldn't be part of what's going on in your brain and what's going on in your life, when those things happen, you already know what you're going to do because you've been to the Word of God and you know what He says and you're willing to pay the price to do what's right. I want you to bow your heads, please. One thought, one thought, with every head bowed, every eye closed, one thought right now. With what decisions are you wrestling right now? What is it that comes to your mind? Something you've been wrestling with you're not sure which way to go with it? Let me ask you. Is it right? Or is it wrong? Is it of God? Or is it of the world, the flesh, and the devil? Is it convictional based on the teachings of the Lord? Or is it temptation based on something you just like, you think? With what decision are you wrestling right now? Father in heaven, help us, Lord. We are so weak. We're so vulnerable. Satan is so smart. He's been around for so long. He knows how to trip us up. We're no match for him in our own power. But greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world if we're trusting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And when that moment of temptation comes, when that time of weakness and testing and tossing back and forth, when we are begin evaluating something that should be a no-brainer based upon the Word of God, give us your leadership, we pray. God, give victory this morning, right now, to men and women in this service. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? Our invitation, we're going to sing one verse. So what you're going to do, you need to do very quickly on the very first verse. If you need to come and pray and get some help praying, we have my wife right down here, ladies. We have Rachel right down here. I'm over here. Uh, Fitz is over here. Um, if, you, if you need somebody to pray with, Jamie's back there. Thank you.
Just go find someone. Get, get someone and say, hey, would you pray with me about this? Some temptation you're going through, some decision you have to make. Maybe you want to know how to be born again, how to be a Christian. We'd love to help you with that. Just go find one of us and grab somebody. If you don't know the, who, who's who around here, the names I just threw out, j- just uh, here's, here's Dennis right down here. Here's Davy Chaplin. Raise your hand up here, okay? So, uh, you know, you see him. You see anybody. You say, well, I need to talk to somebody about knowing Christ, about joining the church, about being baptized, about whatever it is, whatever it is. Take action. Do something about it. You remember I said you, you got to plan ahead so that you're ready when that temptation hits. You already know what you're going to do. Take care of that right now. As they sing, come on.